it very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I may be the chief curmudgeon here. I don't oh, know. I, am, I might be. Yeah. We'll see. Curmudgeon about everything lately, so <laughs> easy. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim D. Pasquale, and Mark Sankey. So in today's podcast, we will be discussing the importance, or maybe not, of increased filtration, ventilation, and disinfection of supply air and facilities as we reopen in 2021. So I actually think we're kind of a little late to this discussion, really, um, you know, being where we are now, a lot of stuff is obviously opened up and people are coming to facilities, but nonetheless, I think there's a, a big concern and focus on indoor air quality. If I, I would assume I'd just consider it that um, in, you know, today's industrial commercial facilities where a lot of people are coming back to the workplace. Um, and, you know, this is all due to, as everybody knows, COVID. So we want everybody to come back and be safe and have quality air and stuff. So there's there's a handful of different safety measures, I guess you would call it, that have come up during the pandemic that seem to make our facilities safer. And I just thought it'd be worth discussing and seeing where we all land on that. And is this stuff that's going to stick and stay um, as you know, implemented in our facilities? Or is this something that was kind of a, for lack of a better term, I don't know, a feel-good measure to, to give the perception of safety or cleanliness? So yeah, I think this is going to be a great conversation, guys. Can I jump in with today's history lesson? Okay. Today's history lesson. In 1860, Louis Pasteur had the theory that invisible germs are the cause of infections. And that inspires a British doctor uh, named Joseph Lister. In 1865, Lister becomes the first surgeon to perform an operation in a chamber sterilized by pulverizing antiseptic in the air. Mortality rates begin to fall. 1865, mm -hmm. 140 years ago. Mm -hmm. And Lister goes on to develop Listerine uh, with Johnson and Johnson, uh, and so on. But here we are back in 1865, two well-known, well-respected doctors determine that infection is caused by invisible germs and that we can disinfect by having aerosols or vapors in the air. Now, okay, if, if what's the moral of the story? If you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. Well, here we are back, you know, 140 years ago, and the guy says, hey, there's stuff in the air, and we apply some disinfectant, and hey, everybody does better. Well, anyway, that's, that's my that's history lesson for today. That's wonderful, completely appropriate. <laughs> and I, I think it's, we're almost at a turning point here with repeating history as well, and it's either going to be a great renaissance in how the built environment and, it's, and then the air quality is improved, or it's going to be a new era in the greatest energy-related scams, uh, which this industry, frankly, is you know rife with. Uh, so, I agree. This is the this is in my mind. We're on the cusp of the next dark ages. Whoa, whoa, 
Yeah. Nick, 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 Nick is <laughs> in uh, Renaissance. Mark's going with the Dark Ages. Totally, Jim. <laughs> exactly. Oh, elaborate, Mark. What do you mean? Well, I, I think all of the, not, all of the uh, you know, everybody wear your masks. Let's, you know, everyone distance. You know, if you're vaccinated, you can move about with some degree of freedom. If you're unvaccinated, you're a pariah. Uh, I just... I think that the, um, you know, in, in the 1860s, 1865, hey, we, we come on this new technology, it's immediately implemented with positive results and everyone begins to adopt it. We're at the same point, but instead of that, we have, you know, closed-mindedness on both sides, on every side, whether it's the anti-vaxxers, whether it's you have to wear a mask, whether you know it's all my way or the highway, when everything is what's the appropriate application of available technology and behavior. I, I think, uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm not confident that indoor air quality is the thing that will make everybody happy because when you look at the other, you know, the transmission methods of surface uh, transmission versus uh, airborne transmission and the, the, what the effectiveness was of hand washing and sanitation and wipe downs and masks. I, you know, what, what was the effect of indoor air quality as compared to those methods? I don't know. Wow. You know, I thought you were going to take that a completely opposite way. <laughs> oh, that we need better indoor air I don't know quality. why. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I thought you were going to say, because of history and the guy was, you know, spraying whatever in the lab when he was cutting people up and, you know, we well, need more of that. Specifically with, with COVID, um, we now know that it's largely transmitted um, via the, you know, the air, not, not by right. surface, surfaces. We have a lot of strong evidence now that there's really not much, well, specifically with COVID, um, you know, you're not doing too much by washing your hands and this, you know, wiping your groceries down with a bunch of bleach and chemicals, you know, it's not really preventing, you know, you definitely, you know, want to wash hands and surfaces to prevent other types of pathogens, but specifically COVID, the evidence now is pointing strongly towards airborne transmission. Well, wow, now I'm really confused yeah. here. Mm-hmm. So are you saying airborne transmission as those like, I sneezed on you and you got COVID or like, I know that's like a, that's an exaggeration, but could happen. Or like I was sitting in a completely different room from somebody with COVID and the HVAC system dumped COVID on me and now I got both. it. Well, I think it's, it, yeah, it's both. <laughs> really? And, you know, the, our understanding of this has been changing throughout the pandemic. I think we're finally starting to get some consistent guidance, um, you know, from the CDC, from our academic institutions, the ones that are doing a lot of the stringent research on this, um, ASHRAE, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with. We, you know, largely thought that this was um, transmitting a lot on surfaces as well as um, with large droplets when you sneeze or cough. And the thought was that those droplets would fall to the ground via gravity within, you know, six feet, which gave us our six foot social distancing rules. Um, 
but throughout the pandemic, I mean, a lot of evidence pointed towards this may be aerosolized and, uh, you know, have the ability to drift in the air and go much further than six feet. Um, there's evidence from the super spreader events and some other um, evidence throughout the pandemic to point that, you know what, the six foot distancing rule may not have as much merit as we did at the beginning of the pandemic. And kind of more recently, MIT had a really good study. Um, I think it was released about two months ago that had really strong evidence to point that time time of exposure is much more significant than mask wearing, um, specifically indoors. And that, you know, six feet may not really have much significance because we believe a lot more of the transition is now happening via aerosolized, you know, some of the smaller air particles that do travel much further than six feet. You stay aloft um, longer and all that, and some increasing the, time the, exposure. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Cur correct. Yeah. So they think that, you know, viral load, which essentially is how much virus particles have you been exposed to? How much have you breathed in is more important. Um, and depends more upon how much time you spend inside and, in, you know, saturated air that's been saturated with um, the virus particles, um, which also gets into, you know, some of the ventilation and filtration topics that I'm sure we'll dive into further. Wow. In this podcast. Yeah. But that's kind of like a rough summary of changes I've observed over the last year. We're in the beginning they were just promoting more ventilation, you know, instead of optimizing for energy efficiency and doing minimum required ventilation, Ashray was advising um, people, if they had the facilities and the systems that can do it to optimize for ventilation. But more air changes energy. per hour over yeah, filtration. Basically dilute versus, uh, you know, trying well, to filter filtration filters over are energy yeah, use. relatively so, ineffective. Yes trap yeah right well they, they changed that or not changed that but gave a obviously a recommendation of the minimum filter um i guess you'd consider it but but as a sidebar i think the the uh mask wearing and the first grade rules of wash your hands and cover your mouth when you cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze um basically drop the influenza infections by almost 50 yeah i was i was gonna say like yeah. to jim's point yeah is that so that's true for obviously not only this virus or variant right i mean i'm assuming like virology you know it, other viruses would transmit similar to this one it's not like it's a yeah. new organism I, I don't know whatever yeah. you want to call it and i guess i don't want to um have my word be misinterpreted i'm not advising like against um <laughs> seeing that masks don't do anything <laughs> you know they, they they have a big impact like if someone were to sneeze or when you're talking that is a lot of you're generating a lot of the larger right. particles and the mask is effective at stopping that so the masks um work well if you are an infected person in preventing you from infecting other people mm. so you know on the it, it made sense to me early on when we didn't know what we were dealing with. It's a low cost, low risk solu you know, solution that we think we 
can have an effect. But, but I guess what I was getting at with what I was saying earlier is don't think that you are going to have a significant protection from the virus if you walk into a building wearing a mask. It's kind of the other way around. Like you wear the mask in That's large right. part to protect other people. But if you are walking into a building and there is viral particles in the air, that mask is not going to do much for you. You need to focus on your time of exposure. So you want to only be indoor, you know, for a few minutes if possible. Very brief exposures to infected That's air. That's interesting. Hardly any um, focus on that over the last, you know, year plus. I yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree completely with I that. Agree. I wouldn't have. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that necessarily. I mean, it makes sense, obviously. And like, I'm cognizant, I guess, when you go into a facility, any building, if there's a lot of people and whatever, even if I'm distanced, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I've heard the oh, discussions I don't a lot <laughs> when it came to like the youth sports discussions that have come up over the last year, you know, about whether they should be masked or not. And that, that whole uh, time next to each other type of thing, but not for the general public at large. And, you know, you can feel, I mean, before this, you could go into some buildings and be like, whoa. And, you know, especially us probably being in this industry, you know, people would be like, oh, it's stuffy in here. Like, yeah, there's no airflow at all in this building. Uh, let's get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a large scale. Petri so, dish. um, so to get like focus, I guess, on some of these, uh, measures, right. Safety measures then. Cause it looks like, you know, it sounds like this, some of this, like, will have viability, obviously, based on what I'm hearing. Um, maybe start off with filtration then. That was one that I did hear, you know, especially the state that I live in, that there was actually requirements, if I remember correctly, to, to change filtration levels to, you know, this appropriate level so people can start coming back into facilities. Um, and it seems like MERV 13 was kind of the baseline now, right? Um, yeah, that's MERV 13 is kind of the minimum they're requiring now. Um, for like commercial that, or industrial, I guess, whatever facilities where there's mass public gathering, right? You know, I think pretty much anywhere, you're, any occupied building, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're probably going to want to recommend MERV 13 as a minimum. Um, and then the thing with MERV 13, that's typically the most effective air filter you can use before you start um, having to consider the effects on, you know, your fan and your static pressure drop. Right. You know, most smaller residential type systems and like commercial systems, you know, off the shelf and standard models could handle MERV 13 filters. Um, when we start talking MERV 14 or HEPA filter specifically, you know, definitely HEPA filters. Mm -hmm. you know, those are much larger pressure right. drops and you, you can't stick a HEPA filter in your, the furnace of your home. Um, you know, it's much too much restriction right. for the fan to overcome. So but, MERV, they're not to cut you off, Jim, but so like a MERV yeah. 13 is, that's like, I guess you'd consider a low cost, easy change that could be made for the majority of facilities. Yeah, and, and I think here what we're going to find is we have multiple um, approaches and methods we can apply to help mitigate 
the spread of transmission and help desaturate the air if it is full of the viral particles. And MERV-13 is a very cheap way to help improve that. Um, you know, these the virus particles, you know, when they're aerosolized, you know, the virus doesn't travel exclusively by itself. Because the virus itself, I want to say, is about one-tenth of a micrometer in size. But the way it actually, when it gets aerosolized and travels through the air, it's typically about one micrometer or bigger. And a MERV-13 filter, when you're between that, like one to two, one to three micrometer range, it's going to catch about 85% of those particles, which is a big difference from like a MERV-8 filter, which is a fraction of that. And MERV-8 is typically your standard filter if you're not using a MERV-13. That's the most common one you see below MERV-13. And the majority of those particles are going to fly right through a MERV-8. The MERV-8 is just you know, stopping large dust particles and trying to it stops. It, yeah, yeah, it's protecting your fan and your coils. It's not right protecting you know, the protecting cleaning the, the air or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we still. I'm sorry. We still go up. To, we still go up to MERV twenty. Is that the maximum MERV rating? Uh it, it goes up. I, I don't know off the top of my head how high it goes. I know there's MERV fourteen, MERV sixteen. It maybe MERV twenty. I just know at the top, and you're getting at the very top is your. HEPA and PETA filters mm-hmm. that are used sure. in laboratories okay. and healthcare settings. Um, and those are, you know, very high, like 99.98, something around there effective in a, in those that's, it has a really high percentage, but that's even for smaller particles, you know, down to fractions of a micron. So they are very effective at stopping almost all of the, um, viral transmission and we see a lot of HEPA filters like standalone filters I know when I was at my getting my teeth clean at the dentist office they had standalone HEPA filters just a small little fan and filter unit stands by itself in the room and it's sure for the room going through and filtering the air Um, so that is one of the other recommendations Mm. is HEPA filtration Um, you know in any rooms where you may be doing some procedures, you know, like a, like a dental office. Right. Well, it sounds great. Why isn't everybody just going to MERV 13? Because a lot of facilities don't even change their <laughs> MERV 8 filters for how long? I mean, well, you are not. There's kidding. your problem. That, there's the problem. That is exactly yeah. the problem. <laughs> just get to, get to your original baseline for Pete's sake. You know, that, that's a big thing right there. If you yeah. Do, Get to your baseline and your building's operating as it was intended. Yeah, you're you're gonna have a much bigger impact, I believe, than trying to implement more stringent, right? Like new guidelines than we already have. You know, I think that's probably the bigger problem. Is I think like if we have if everyone's building is operating according to our current ASHRAE sixty two point one, you know, standards with regards to ventilation and current mechanical code. I think you know you you'll be pretty good as compared to not meeting those guidelines. Right. A lot of underventilated buildings out there. Yep. You're essentially just someone is infected in there and you're not ventilating at all. And you're just filling, you're saturating that air with viral particles. You know, we saw a lot of that. A lot of the super spreader events were in indoor spaces with poor ventilation. You know, like New York City subways, um, a lot of other um, like ch- some churches, some other venues where 
there was poor ventilation. It was indoors. People were spending prolonged time indoors. Um, and they equate that to not like direct transmission. That's like transmission via like the air, I guess, if that makes sense. Really? Yeah, I believe that's where the evidence is pointing and where the understanding and the consensus is kind of is headed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a super spreader event, which, you know, if you look at the average transmission rate of, of COVID, I believe, you know, back during the pandemic, if you're familiar with the term row, that is how many people does an infected person sp- spread the infection to? And I, I believe it was somewhere around three and that, you know, that number has been yeah. bobbing up and down mm-hmm. with the variants and everything else. But uh, about a year ago, three was a typical number, which means every person that gets infected is on average going to spread that to three other people. Well, there was a lot of um, variants in that number. So it wasn't like most people were spreading it to three people. It was most people are spreading it to less than three people, but then you'd have a super spreader event where there was over a hundred infections and it'd raise that average to three. And those super spreader events, it's highly probable that it wasn't happening from surface contamination. Um, It was, or even nearby large droplet transmission in order for so many people to be infected, the most likely transmission path for that would be aerosolized airborne transmission um, you just you look at the extended exposure yes. yep so i'm going to ask a dumb question right and i know like this this is falls into probably a lot of category category of discussion you know separate from this but like and i understand it's obviously a completely different virus than you know whatever the influenza the flu or whatever but like so before would there be super spreader events with the flu and nobody just cared pretty much or like is it it's just a different virus that travels different that is obviously more infectious so well and i guess we have flu shots and all that stuff too i'm just like thinking you know other viruses you know whatever you want to call it do we just ignore like that before and now we care about it because uh well i i think it's the mortality that mortality rate that has uh, caused the impact because you know the general mortality rate for influenza was under a hundred thousand in the US on an annual basis or around a hundred thousand so you know I think what were the precautions with the flu if you feel bad stay home maybe that was 80% 80% adhered to if you couldn't get out of bed you would right. go to work but there were many times that people with symptoms showed up you know at their workplace yeah. but I think the mortality and lethality of this virus is definitely uh, you know caused a higher degree of and attention. that's kind of what caused us to realize that you know this is how it can spread more like it probably happened before for other viruses and such but just because this was under the you know, under the microscope pretty much. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah. I was, I was going to jump in after Nick said, you know, Hey, it feels like this building's stuffy and we're all in the business. So we're, we're attenuated to that. You know, what drives me crazy is walking into a building and seeing the black supplier. <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, that sends me into orbit. I'm thinking I need to run escape. I need to escape. Yeah, especially when you see that, like at, a uh, your child's pediatrician's office 
exactly. typically aren't, you know, healthcare facilities have much higher standards. Um, than just a doctor's office or whatever. A doctor's office, yeah. a lot of time, that's maybe a converted residential building yep. or you know, right. they just have a little furnace yeah. running. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, so we can pretty much all agree that, you know, more filtration is obviously better and kind of hitting that like MERV 13 is a, would you call it a happy medium or whatever you want, a baseline of you're not, you don't have to change your mechanical equipment or anything. It's not like it's, you know, exponentially more expensive to change from a MERV 8 to a MERV 13 filter. And, you know, you do that. And not a huge pressure drop increase, right? That's what I'm gathering. Guys, uh, well, it, it, I would I would say it depends. It depends on your velocity, uh, you know, and, and there are times when, okay, we need to have a, you know, a larger filter box, but um, 13 is right at the edge, and then you get the 14, 15, you're in bag filters, mm-hmm. and, um, and and there are actually 14 um, pleated filters now, but you, you can get to, uh, um, you know, MERV 14, but at that point, you know, you're the MERV 13, you're 89 to 90%, uh, and MERV 14, you're 90 to 95 maybe there's diminishing returns, right. you know, certainly yeah. at a residential level to go to MERV 13 is a great, uh, you know, and we actually use a carbon filter uh, 13s, which is not that much money. I'm probably using know. like a MERV 1. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and then also I I think, you know, to reiterate, and, and really this falls into like our, our other discussions about like commissioning and continuous commissioning is like change, change your filters, whatever filter you put in, just make sure you change them and, and maintain it. Right. Don't just put a MERV 13 in and never change it. Like you got to remember to stay on top of this stuff, regular PM stuff. Um, Cause I think, like I said, a lot of facilities didn't do that and probably will continue to not do that. I, I have to have a sidebar on, uh, on, Filtration and please. <laughs> so I don't know how many time buildings that have uh, we've been in buildings that have VAV systems where they modulate the supply fan speed and they have uh, uh, differential pressure gauges or indication on the BMS of the DP across the filter, and you go in and the fans running at you know thirty five percent or forty percent fan speed, maintaining the static pressure in the uh, space. Or in the, I'm sorry, in the supply air duct, and you say, well, when's the last time you changed the filters? Oh, I don't know. Look at the static pressure across the filter; it's very low. But you open it up, and you know there's a, a, I mean, they're just packed. While at below design flow, the static pressure drop across the filter will never, unless it, you know, you have trees growing, uh, they'll never reach the design static, you know, limit. So you, at some point, either midnight or whatever, you run the fan up to full speed once every month and say, okay, this is our filter test. Otherwise, you'll never change the filter based on the differential pressure across it. That's something you don't read about in the books necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Or the or the filters no, just like good. sucked through already and there's no filtration whatsoever. <laughs> That's, <hard. laughs> That's happened too, right? <laughs> yeah, look at the differential <laughs> pressure. It's all best. good. Yeah, because there's... Yeah. There's <laughs> filters only blocking up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So that's where I 
Oh, filtration so Yeah, funny. but that's where I fall, you know, on the filtration spectrum. Yeah, I guess, you know, I can't argue more filtration's better, but, you know, you got to maintain what you have already, too, and, and get to that, that minimum requirement, and it'll probably make a, a big difference. Yeah, so that. I just looked up a Merv 1 filter, Clayton, and that's basically like a window screen. <laughs> okay, then I, I must have like a it'll, three then. I'm good, you it'll know. pick it's, up carpet fibers. Yeah. <laughs> that's about it. You like the With cheap, 65% efficiency. The cheapest filter you can buy at like Home Depot. You know, I buy a pack of 10 <laughs> and just change it. Yeah, perfect. That's all we need. <laughs> so, good. I'm safe then. No worries. Um, Open a window. That's where I fall. I'm just going to open a window because um, our next one is increased ventilation, right? So if you don't care about filtration, if you can just ventilate, you know, you'll be fine then. But th- this is this is what really intrigued me is like from what I found on the CDC's website, they're basically saying like open up your outside air dampers if you can to whatever you can. But if you can't, I guess it's okay. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to, to, you know, Ashray's guidance earlier on saying to optimize for ventilation. So that's their careful way of saying, take in as much fresh air as you can without causing more problems, Yeah, you know, than you're trying to alleviate. So if it's a very, you know, if it's 95 degrees out at 70% yeah. relative humidity, maybe it's not a good idea to maximize ventilation because the humidity issues you're going to cause are going to be more substantial than any type of dilution you'd right. be doing to your, you know. But how many facilities do you find are like that have the additional capacity to bring in a, additional outside air? Well, it's not necessarily additional capacity. It's, you know, you maybe you stretch, um, you know, comfort, a little bit so right. in the winter yeah you're gonna have maybe you're you're not gonna be able to keep up and maybe it's a few degrees cooler um in reality i mean the systems as we said before are typically oversized a little bit it's more of the energy penalty and the cost of operating right that increased ventilation rate it's not you know only on very hot or very cold days very humid days will maximizing if that puts you over your capacity, then that's, you really have to consider, um, you know, mold and humidity or, you know, if it's too cold, those types of issues, but all other times it's going to be an increased cost to you. Yeah. Cause it, it costs more energy to ventilate. Um, and you know, unless you're an economizer, obviously I'm not, that's the exception here. Yeah, but yeah. You'd be in that anyway, um, supposedly. But um, I, I just. So yeah, that. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm just I'm all riled up. I'll let you continue. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say um, that, that that that's the big thing is we before, before this this guidance the standard way of doing it was you optimize for energy so you just provide the minimum required ventilation. And you you optimize energy efficiency. And early on, when we didn't know what we were dealing with, um, and they had early evidence that poorly ventilated spaces where was the source of a lot of the super spreader events, um, they had advised rather than optimizing for energy conservation, optimize for ventilation. And that that's all I'm saying. I just find it interesting. Like, there's no actual, at least from what I saw. 
like guideline though. It's like just do the best you can, I guess, and go from there. I don't know. Like it's like saying like oh, you know, people are dying from fast driving, so just go as slow as you possibly can drive comfortably. <laughs> I don't know. Like they're not yeah, saying why is that? They're not saying slow down 10 miles an hour, right? They're saying just <laughs> do it. like I don't know. But why is that? I mean, well, there's a I don't know liabilities and like you that's know. all it is. Yeah, somebody gets sick. Yeah, well, I did everything that so and so or this X Y Z entity told me to do, and I still get sick. So it's your fault. Yeah, you know this is just like don't drink the contents of your car battery. Why do car manufacturers <laughs> put that in their yeah. owners' manuals now? Because somebody died from yeah. it, and now they have to put that kind of nonsense in there owner's manual i just i don't know and I, you can probably and if you're listening to the podcast get a sense of where i fall on the spectrum of this kind of discussion i don't know i just found it interesting like yeah just bring as much outside air in as you can for whatever and hopefully it's all okay we don't know what the right number is but like more the better i don't know it's just, I don't know, it's just well sure if money was no object money you know for whatever reason we develop a uh infinitely uh, an infinite supply of zero cost energy every air handling system in the world would be a hundred percent outside air. yeah right yeah well i think there is a lot of i mean from what jim was kind of saying this idea of decoupling you know ventilation from heating and cooling needs and i think there's a lot of academic stuff going on right now to kind of think about that but in my mind that's going to be I would think a major uh, increase to energy costs. Well, absolutely. You know, operate, operating costs that. Well, well that's that's going to put the kibosh on like the Green New Deal and all that stuff, then, isn't it? Well, it's going to be interesting because. <laughs> got competing objectives here. They're exactly. They're competing. Not competing, conflicting. Conflicting, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I will say, I'm just going to throw this in there. Like th- this whole super spreader event stuff, right? I'd be in- really, really, really interested to know. Were they up to the minimum standards anyways where this happened? Well, let's get their commission reports. <laughs> yeah. and Oh. 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 <laughs> we actually walled off our outside air intakes because people were getting cold. And then we had a super spreader event. And now we're going to say you got to bring in more outside air. Well, well, there was a time when outside air was kind of looked at as kind of dangerous too, right? <laughs> really? You know? Well... Make sure don't go to an open park. What? Make sure if you do, you, you yeah. Guys in, what states do you guys live in? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Don't go to a park. Uh, we had parks closed. Oh, off for COVID. Right. For COVID. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I thought you just yeah. meant like it's it, a point in history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and nothing. No. no re- recent yeah, history. Okay. You know, wear, wear masks outside. <laughs> that sort of thing. So. Yeah. There wouldn't surprise me if some people were taking a contrarian view, saying, "No, I'm going to keep all the building the air in my building, and I'm going to decrease my ventilation." Uh, well, don't laugh; it could happen. Yeah. Actually, in New York State during the '80s, the early '80s, you know, energy crisis kind of stuff, there was the the um, New York State Energy Code allowed schools to close. I mean, 100% close. They're outside air dampers below 35 degrees. So I'm aware of that. And in 1995, we were still ripping a lot of those plywood and yeah. sheet metal coverings off. Exactly. Yeah. Remember sick building syndrome? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, everything goes full spectrum. But, uh, you know, 
there wasn't a lot of thought given to the welfare and well-being of the students at that time. It was all about, uh, you know, reducing costs, reduce the costs. See, and that's an important part too. Sorry, but you know, when we talk about time of exposure, right? And we think about okay, where are the most, you know, like you know, retail and stuff. You know, you're in and out. You know, you shouldn't be hanging out there all day. I guess maybe malls excluded. <laughs> oh, but don't say a that. Mall anymore. <laughs> well, well, I'm just saying. But you know, like schools. How about long-term, you know, nursing home type applications? You know, or there are the places that historically have pretty poor ventilation a lot of times well, definitely on the school side and to that end nick i mean basically you go into a building that has let's just for extreme example uses 100 percent outside air versus one that uses 20 percent outside air you could be in the one for 20 that brings in 20 percent outside air and have as much exposure in an hour as you do in three days at at the building that brings in 100% outside air because the return air obviously has a half-life of every time you recycle it, we're only taking out, you know, 20% of it. I'm just still amazed that this whole, like, it'll recirculate through your building like that much. I guess I need to do more homework. Well, I think that's why, you know, especially early on, we were kind of downplaying, especially you know, myself. I had some clients that had like fitness centers and New York State fitness centers were shut down for a long time and they mm-hmm. were trying to do anything they can to get back open. And you know, early on I said, there's things we can do with your HVAC system, but most of the mitigation measures has to be you know, non-HVAC related. At the time we were thinking everything was large droplet transmission within six feet. There was not this um, thought that it was aerosolized and airborne and traveling much further than six feet. So there was less emphasis on, you know, yeah, definitely put in MERV 13s, but that's not going to be a game changer. You know, because now you're relying on your ceiling mounted return air grills to catch what we thought at the time were mostly large droplets that were falling by gravity within six feet to filter, you know, highly light, unlikely that those virus particles were ever going to reach your MERV-13 filters. Um, whereas now we're kind of, you know, and I'm saying this, like nothing's absolute. We're still learning, yeah. but there is a stronger consensus now. We're getting better understandings and better data, you know, with each passing day to where there it appears to be a significant amount of airborne transmission with lighter um, particles, aerosolized particles traveling much, much further than six feet and staying in the air for much more prolonged periods of time to where these filtration and ventilation measures um, will have an increased impact than if it was just, you know, six foot spread by droplets. And I mean, I understand it. Like, I don't want people listening to think like, I, I don't understand this. I mean, I get why like hospitals have 100% outside air units and all that. And more outside air is obviously better. Um, I just, I guess, didn't realize that there was so much more concrete evidence leading towards like the way COVID spreads could be more of what we just talked about rather than me sneezing on you and you getting sick, you know? Well, it's def- definitely one of the ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, so we talked about, you know, two, two measures you can take, which, um, 
I guess you could do one or the other in a way too, and whatever, find your happy medium. And then another one, which I guess I did find pretty interesting as well, is like UV disinfection, um, which probably, I mean, obviously has a lot of viability, right? And good, you can really apply this um, well in facilities. I didn't know what you guys thought on this. I guess this is more, has this existed for a long time? Yes, for other reasons, probably, right? Mm. Well, it's existed, but you know, common applications are surgical suites and right. you know, uh, isolation rooms uh, in in hospitals or healthcare or recovery areas. And the effectiveness is obviously it works, but it all goes back to the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. But doesn't this kind of elevate in, in some way those other non-surgical and hospital areas? Kind of. Because that's why you know we don't do UV disinfection in a lot of those places because the consequences weren't as high. But if this has life and death consequences, do you think there's a natural tendency to be elevated into well, buildings have to spend you know a ton more money now to really be current with? And I don't think it's just for for COVID nineteen right. either. It's going to impact everything going forward. There'll, there'll be different stuff, and uh, you know if it helps deter the spread of the flu as well that's a big thing that's an impact to the economy it's life you know oh, even the common so, cold you know i mean oh yeah sure. all of it that's great point right there. yeah i i, don't, I think well go ahead jim uh, yes and jump in i mean there's there's a lot of evidence that uv specifically with regards to you know the sars cov 2 virus definitely inactivates the virus to where it's not going to be in any useful um, form to spread cause infection you know a lot of that there's a big it's a, probably a big reason why it doesn't really transmit much outdoors um, and uv and hvac has been in use for a long time not necessarily as an air filter but um, a lot of times you'll have uv lamps inside air handling units to keep coils yep. um, disinfected because the big thing is, is you need to, is the time of exposure. You know, we've been using that term a lot, but this time it's how long is that virus spending um, in the UV stream? If you just stick a lamp in a return air duct, it might not have enough time to inactivate the virus particles as it flies by. Uh, there are UV filtration systems out there. You just have to make sure that you know, there's also some gimmicks out there. Um, and it's important that this technology does exist and it's very effective, but you have to make sure you're getting the right you know, piece of equipment for what your, your goals are. Um, and another interesting use of UV is uplighting where they just had UV lamps in an occupied space and they shoot it up towards the ceiling and it kills all the, not necessarily kill, inactivates is the proper term, I guess, to all the virus particles in the air and that way because UV is dangerous you can't just shine that on people right um, mm. you know it's it's radiation so you gotta be careful with your eye exposure and if you're doing up lighting um, direct space UV disinfection to be careful of reflective surfaces you really don't want anyone being exposed to too much UV in those cases but, uh, yeah UV is definitely an effective tool um, against this, but you just like anything, make sure you're 
properly specifying and using the correct devices for what you're actually trying to do. Stay away from and the most, gimmicks. And most people would never think that the lighting guys and girls would have a big part of this. You <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. But it's huge. No, I, I, I agree. That's what I saw was like the they put a UV light or whatever just at the you know the top of a wall shining across the building too or across a room to you know hit the air above people height so nobody was being exposed to it but it was cleaning just whatever you want to call the but, air but who's paying for this and will people do it voluntarily no or only when it's mandatory only when it's mandatory <laughs> well it's true I... <laughs> we have to hear the rest of the sentence no nobody's gonna pay for no. this no individual people of course not it, it's either gonna be mandatory or it's gonna be like you know, the population starts demanding it and like, I won't go into a X building, you know, any retail building that doesn't have it, you know, but I don't it's, think that's going to no, be, you know, it's that, just the timeless conflict of individual versus collective needs and costs and risks, yeah. right? You know, it's, it's a never ending problem. I don't see any solution to, I mean, that's, well, that's one timeless problem. The other timeless problem is I want it, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so interesting, Clayton. What you just said, you know, how you go into like a, uh, a restroom at whatever, you know, retail yeah. store and they have them, their cleaning log prominently displayed. And why do they do that? It's not just because it's convenient for them, but they want you to know that when this restroom was last clean right. and disinfected, yep. I wonder if you'll come to see the like the same public pressure, you know, on people displaying their maintenance records outside their building. Probably not the maintenance records, but I would imagine big, big banner saying we are Merb yeah. thirteen. We bring in twenty five percent outside air, not ten or whatever. <laughs> You'd be like, Oh, I'm going to that I'm gonna go to that store now instead of Yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe. But I mean to some extent, I mean if you like I don't if the population says, yeah, we we want to go to places that are like kept clean and nice, which you get now too, you know, it, that, that could be another way to pressure facilities, right. To start doing more of this because it does cost them money, but if they're losing money because people aren't coming, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it works. I mean, I'm just thinking about it. I think this is a, uh, a feature, a benefit or so of, different establishments could use it's not so required as you say it will mm -hmm. be and then mark's point brings in you know anybody can require it but again where does the money come from well and and yeah you, you can require it right and they put it in and then <laughs> after it's like whatever commissioned if you want to call it that either they turn it off or they never maintain it never change it i mean you get you'd probably get that a lot too so oh you're so sad i he know turning into quite a cynic <laughs> man What's going on? Because well, his well, eyes are open. That's why. Well, yeah. but, but it, he's stuck. you know larger scale impacts. Okay, who can most economically put these things in? And, and I'm just talking about mom and pop stores or big yeah, box Walmart, retailers. right? I mean, and so this is just one more set of potential regulations that would be, you know, an impediment to small business. And, and who who does it cheaper than Walmart? Well. I can't tell you the last time I was in a, uh, well, I actually could, it's probably three weeks ago, but um, I can order almost everything I want from Amazon. Yeah. And I don't have to go out and get worried about COVID. Well, yeah, we, we, we absolutely saw that. Um, boom, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, and the same thing Walmart and other stores are getting into that space right. too. That's right. But you know, the local bait shop or the local hardware store, mm. I mean, they'll have to comply. I mean, uh, it's all speculation, but right. in the event that somebody said this is now mandatory, that would be a that'd be rough. Yeah, and like a st- no, what are you what are you talking about? Like mandatory, like a certain well, we have filter? change everything to MERV thirteen or add UV sterilization or yeah, you okay, know, monitor your indoor air quality sure. or whatever it is. You know. Oh yeah. I'll still fall back to just do you just do the minimum required now because there's a lot of places that don't, and obviously oh, that is yeah that is to me is a, a a huge overarching obviously we all we all can agree on that and then you can go further than that and that's great but at least do the basic requirements yeah change your filters change your filters don't close well, off so your outside maybe, air damper you know maybe that's the key part is that how how is it enforced like you yeah. said you know yeah. new rules are just we know are just new rules right uh you know good or bad but you know the, a lot of these places we see they're they're not compliant with standards or various operating agreements they you know signed up for or agreed to uh yeah that's a big risk yeah so that's kind of where i fall on the spectrum and a lot of the stuff is great and if you can do it i think obviously you should um yeah i don't know that's that's what i have to say on that one final thoughts so do you guys have like any parting thoughts you know based on what we what we've gone through and I, I, we got a little bit of, you know, each end of the spectrum and I think we sort of reached a agreement on the happy medium, if you'd call it that, but any advice on how clients and building owners could not be taken by any new scams or ill-conceived schemes that I'm sure they are finding their way into the marketplace. Oh goodness, I can imagine. Yeah. Hmm. And I, and I particularly think about those, you know, our favorite bait shops and places like that. <laughs> you know, not the big places that want to be safe. And, you know, I've got places around here, you know, where we're tagging title places. And they say they will require six feet distancing and masks until 100% of people in America are vaccinated. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, they're appealing to the lowest common denominator, they said. Yeah. Yikes. So, I don't know. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, pressure for individual places to maybe, I don't know, show that they're doing something. Well, maybe but, and then, you know, oh, oof, I just, this is a sensitive topic, obviously, but you bring up the vaccination thing, right? At some point, does none of this matter again because everybody's vaccinated? Everybody won't be I, vaccinated. I well, but you know what I mean? Like the, the whatever, enough people to get your whatever herd immunity and all that good stuff. But like at some point, like, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, okay, if I, if we're all vaccinated and COVID is not really a concern, do we need to bring in more outside air or have MERV 13 filters or do UV disinfection? I mean, more cynical thoughts, but like the population, are we just going to forget about it and move on to our normal ways? I think there'll always be something else either lurking or scary that comes along and other stuff is, you know, it's a health concern. Too. Yeah, I Just agree. Keeping buildings healthier is a good thing. You know, I, I would think 
I don't know if I had to prioritize these three things we're talking about, filtration, ventilation, disinfection. I mean, I don't know. Ventilation seems to be, I don't know. You can't have ventilation without filtration, but ventilation seems to be a, a very enduring and robust concept, at least to me, right? Yeah. And maybe it's because I was brainwashed into the solution to pollution is dilution. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes so much sense, and, and, it, and it sounds it's, so It's up there, which is not uh, replacement for displacement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> my second favorite. Boy, that's exactly correct, isn't it? Yeah. That falls right in uh, perfect with the building hot rodders, you know? So, But, you, you know, you can't ventilate without filtration but i guess is there that if you're 100 percent outside air obviously you're still going to fill you're going to filter but not to the degree if you're bringing in return air right right I so agree. ventilation maybe that's the key maybe there's a new era of you know pre outside air processing devices or something which will make you know complete natural ventilation or 100 percent ventilation not as big an energy impact as it is now. Well, that could really open up a whole new market of whatever, you know, if if there is more requirement for ventilation and demand for ventilation, you, some new technologies for heat recovery and whatever you want to call it or um yeah, I guess you'd call it heat recovery, but yeah, yeah. you would think that you know the the market would be ripe for better yeah. uh heat recovery or energy recovery. Energy tools, recovery, yeah. You know, whether it's, you know, heat pumps or whether it's mm -hmm. who knows what but yeah i i agree and you know some of the other you know the heat wheels or desiccant wheels might have to be you know rethought of because of potential transference mm -hmm. i mean yeah you just don't know but i i would agree that this would if, if the mandate comes down that you know minimum outside air needs to be increased or who knows what yep that, yeah the market would change for yep energy recovery mechanisms i'm just going to use heat pipes heat pipes who would be the, the central authority that could come down and, and declare a like nationwide ventilation standard well ashray writes the standards and then the codes incorporate them by reference yeah, and that, that can take some time, right, oh, to I work agree. through. Yeah. Okay. But it wouldn't be coming, like... Next know, week? Like, no. No, you're even, like, Clayton, you know, cited the CDC with kind of some... Oh, <laughs> like, you never you know. know. They're always... useless language. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Wait a second. There are always uninformed entities that engage to write legislation that they know nothing about. Agreed. Okay. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get that. Yeah. Yep. So, I don't know. This is a really great conversation. I don't know where we left it, though. Like, as a listener, what did you take from this? You know, if you're, if you're tuning in, comment. Let us know. We'd love to get your feedback. Um, a lot of positives and negatives we covered of these... I don't know, mitigation, risk mitigation efforts that you can do in your facility and what, what is maybe needed and what is maybe not and what can help. And, you know, um, cost obviously is a big factor in a lot of this too. So, Well, and I think the basic rules of cleanliness and hygiene still apply, possibly more than ever. Yeah, I kind of uh, fall into that category. Like just do what you're supposed to be doing. That, that you learn all, in first grade. Yeah, right? exactly. And you'll be... 
you're going to be in good shape, you know. I don't care how much outside air you're bringing. If you're licking doorknobs in the building, you're going to get sick, you know. Okay, good, good, Clayton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I would think your, your minimum effort and cost things are make sure your filters are, you know, good. That they're, you know, your filter racks are actually fitted properly. So yeah, that's a big one healing. too. Yeah, I mean, these are these are very simple mm-hmm. things. You don't have to seek outside help for, and then do a check on your ventilation and see if your dampers are working and where they're at. You can't really tell just by looking at them. Most times, you know, my ten percent ventilating, my twenty percent, but you'll surely know if you're zero percent, or if there's something broken with your ventilation system, but. Yeah, the energy impact's going to be real to people. I also think, like, do, like, you know, we see a lot of facilities that do demand control ventilation and put in uh, carbon monoxide sensors. Like, that'd be good, right? That makes sense. More people go in, bring in more outside air, you know, get that air flowing better. But, like, it's not something, if there's only one person in this massive room, you got to continuously do also. So, there's things you can do to help but not hurt yourself too much financially, I guess. <laughs> No, totally. So I think with that, we can wrap this episode up. I mean, I'm really glad we had the conversation. I think it was long overdue for the Building Hot Riders podcast. I know this has been a topic of discussion for a really long time. Um, But if you're listening to our podcast, again, I hope you took something away from this. And feel free to let us know your thoughts. Maybe you agree, disagree. Maybe you know some other great technology that can be applied to make our facilities you know, safer as more people come in. Thanks a lot, Nick, Jim, and Mark. And thanks a lot to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you guys have a great day. Have a great 4th of July. Be safe, everybody. God bless America, the United States of America, our troops, all of you. Be safe. Have fun.